Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's show, man, it's a good one. It's an intense one. And thematically, some things that people don't necessarily like to talk about. But that doesn't mean they're not important. That doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about them. We absolutely should, which is why I'm thrilled that I get to welcome another fellow Golden High School Class of 2000 alum, Courtney Brewer. Now, Courtney grew up around the car business. Her dad... Created Christopher's Dodge Ram, which is what it's known now. I knew it as Christopher's Dodge World or Christopher Dodge. Now called Christopher's Dodge Ram. And we talk a little bit about that, about his success. He built a very, very successful business. But towards the end of his life, he started experiencing some mental problems, some physical problems. It was debilitating. And what it turned out he had was Huntington's disease. Now, this is a disease I'd never heard of. And the way she describes it, is it's like ALS, Parkinson's, and dementia all at the same time, which, good Lord, sounds like an absolute nightmare. Now, Courtney lost her dad a little more than a year ago, so she's had some time to process this, and there was a run-up to that as her dad started to deteriorate and approach the last chapter. And so not only do we spend some time talking about Huntington's disease, what it looks like, how it manifests, what the symptoms are, But we also talk about end of life and dying with dignity. Her dad wanted to go out on his own terms. And that's something, while maybe not everyone can relate to, you can at least empathize with wanting to have that choice, to die with dignity. And it's something that Courtney has been very, very passionate about. And when you hear her talk about it, it's easy to empathize with her. It's easy to understand. Now, as Americans, or maybe just as people, I have no idea what other cultures are like, but we don't like to talk about death that much makes us uncomfortable. Maybe it's too intense. I don't know what the reasons are. But culturally, we don't talk about it a whole lot. And that's one of the reasons I love doing this show. I never know exactly where my next conversation is going to come from. And I don't shy away from tough conversations. I welcome them. I'm happy to talk about literally pretty much any issue. And we've covered a lot of things on this show. But one thing we haven't talked about very much is death. And when you talk about a disease that's as terrible as HD or Huntington's disease... You can't not talk about these issues. The fact that Courtney is so candid, so forthcoming, so warm, and so generous with this is just a real gift, and I value her candor and her open heart. So, I hope you go into this episode with the same. She says it herself in this episode, an open heart and an open mind, and I agree with her. That all comes to you in just a second, but first, a quick programming note. I'm going to be off next week. As I mentioned, Courtney is a fellow Class of 2000 alum at Golden High School. We are having our reunion this weekend. I have been integral in the planning, and so I am taking a week off. I think you'll survive. I think it'll be okay, but just wanted to drop you that note real quick. Secondly, if you're brand new to the show, welcome. Glad to have you. No matter what podcatcher you're listening on, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your pods, there's an ability to rate, review, and subscribe. Please do that. That helps the visibility of this show. That helps me level up, and it's real simple. It takes just a couple of clicks. If you want to write something, that'll take just a few more clicks. 
But no matter what you're willing to do, I greatly appreciate it. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. And thank you for taking the time to rate, review, and subscribe. Now then, let's get to episode 298 of the John of All Trades podcast with Courtney Brewer. We're talking about Huntington's disease. We're talking about dying with dignity. And yes, we talk a little bit about her career. She's a wonderful person. I haven't seen her in like 20 years, so it was great to reconnect. I get to see her in person a few days after this airs. You get to hear her right now. Episode 298, Courtney Brewer starts right now. Definitely been since high school, so like 21 years maybe. <laughs> Yikes. That's uh, That's been the funnest part for me about working with this reunion stuff is I've been connecting with people and talking with them about what they've been up to, things that are important to them, and you and I connected. And so that's why I'm so thrilled we got to do this together. Yeah, I know. working with the people at the reunion has got to be fun to get to know people a little bit better. Yeah, I, I've been getting to reconnect with everyone and just see what everyone's up to, what's important, what they want to talk about. And so that's one reason I'm so happy you and I were able to get reconnected. So it's been these 20 years to get that, that we've not even gotten to see each other. And we're coming up on a reunion. It's coming up next week. Tell me a little bit about what you've been up to. What's the journey been for you since high school? What? Well... Right after I got out of college, I moved to Michigan and I actually have my degree in automotive marketing and management. And so I spent a lot of years doing that both at my family's dealership and other people's dealers, other dealerships as well. Um, I worked in Michigan when I was out there and then I worked in Indianapolis for the summers that I was out there. And so that was fun being able to work for somebody that's not family sure. <laughs> and different experience. So that was what I did when I first got out of high school, then moved back to Denver not too long after that. I've got two little boys now. My oldest is 12 and my youngest is nine. Oh, nice. Okay. So, so you're a little bit ahead of me because mine are, my youngest is going to turn five here in a couple of days, actually. And then my oldest is going to be seven in October. So yeah, you got to jump uh -huh. on me there a little bit. <laughs> It's just different problems. <laughs> like, <laughs> it just it gets less physically demanding and more mentally demanding. <laughs> oh sure, that that's a good way of putting it. I I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah, I there you don't have to carry them around as much, and they don't come with as much crap. And like when you're especially first going, you have to carry around that bucket car seat. It's it's heavy mm -hmm. and it's intense. And yeah, now it's it's more mentally exhausting. I, I give you that. I can't imagine what it's like. As I get older, but I'm sure I'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And I think probably because next year is like middle school for my oldest and stuff oh, like geez. that. And so, yeah, it's just, it's a whole different, it's totally different than what I remember growing up. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. So, but. so this is Courtney Brewer yeah. and you are one of my classmates from Golden High School, class of 2000. And I, I'm excited to talk a little bit more about your journey, but we're also going to do a little bit something that's a little bit different on this show where we're going to talk about mm -hmm. some advocacy work that you're involved with. And I'm definitely excited to feature that because I was reading a little bit about this and, and we'll talk about mm -hmm. it here in a second. And man, it sounds brutal what can yeah. happen with, with what's going on. And so the fact that you're willing to share this with me, I think is a real gift. And I think a lot of people can get some benefit from it. I'm happy to raise the awareness on it. Oh. 
Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's, it's been a rough last couple of years. I guess one of the things that I was doing um, when my youngest was born, when I got pregnant with him, is my mom and I, I had left the car business because it was too demanding with trying to be a single mom. I've been a single mom for since I was pregnant with my littlest. Oh, and so just the hours are... Yeah, the hours are too demanding for the car business and that kind of schedule. And so I, my mom and I, I left the car business and we opened a kid's store and it was a kid's consignment store. And I took everything that I learned in the car business and applied it to the baby business. And we were open for almost five years and a really successful store going. And then my dad was getting, he was not doing very well and they couldn't really figure out, I think with Huntington's disease, which is what he was ended up being diagnosed with it's misdiagnosed so often and people's symptoms are just really across the board as far as physical to mental and stuff like that and a lot of my dad's stuff was mental and that was kind of hard for people to comprehend because he was such a successful businessman (laughs) that it didn't make sense why he he would suffer emotionally and mentally So, and that's kind of how we kind of decided to close the kids store so that my mom could be more attentive to him and see what was going on. And, um, that's what eventually led us to his Huntington's diagnosis. And that's kind of what I've been spending. He passed away a year ago and I've really been trying to like live in the solution and do what I can for different people and just be a support. Um, cause it's definitely, it's a, a hereditary disease is the other hard part about it. So oh, now we have quite a few family members that have been diagnosed. Yeah. Well, your dad, I mean, I, I never knew him. You and I, I mean, we, we lived in Genesee together. We kind of like, we went to the same elementary school. We were in the same circles. Like your family was pretty close with Connor Coughlin's family, if I remember right. Right. Correct. Yep. And so like we would intersect sometimes we didn't necessarily run in the same social circles, but I mean, I knew your dad as being a prominent car dealership owner, uh, in the state. And I, you know, people know and recognize Christopher's Dodge World, now known as Christopher's Dodge Ram, I believe. And so mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. it's not surprising to hear me or to, for you to say that, you know, the cognitive decline associated with Huntington's, Huntington's disease, that had to be very, very surprising. When did you first start to notice things changing with your dad well it was like in 2000 well when you look back on it kind of like hindsight is 2020 like a lot of his anger or temper problems Mm -hmm. things like that things associated with mood disorders it was like oh well that's probably why and stuff but it wasn't until he was having like really overwhelming suicidal thoughts that we were just like, oh, that we just didn't know like why or where this all came from. And so, um, Cash wants to join us. <laughs> that is a beautiful but, dog. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, he's actually named after that's, this was my mom's emotional support dog, Cash. Oh, cool. <laughs> so, yeah, but he, yeah, just the cognitive part of it and just going downhill that way. And a lot of people that seems to be like it, uh, different families. Like, so in our family, that seems to be like a something that's very hereditary is like depression, lack of sleep, that kind of anxiety, things like that seem to be 
the strongest things. Like if you looked at my dad, even up until the point that he passed, most people wouldn't know that there was anything wrong with him. Um, physically, Korea is another part of Huntington's and that's the part that affects people's mobility. Okay. And yeah, different parts of the brain. And so it was weird because my younger brother, um, so when you get diagnosed with Huntington's, there's a scale and they give you a number of what your repeats are. And like, I, I'm not a science person. So, but it's like what your repeats are. And, um, my brother was having like a lot of people and it's really unfortunate because a lot of people think that, um, people that have Huntington's are on drugs or they're drunk because they have often have times have slurred speech. They can trip, you know, and so that's kind of how he, how he presents himself to people. And so, um, he's, uh, just turned 50 and he was diagnosed before my dad. And then when they realized what my brother had, they were like, well, it's got to come from one of the parents and it's probably your dad. And so my brother was <clears throat> diagnosed first and he has like a, his repeats like 58, which is pretty high up there. And my dad's was only over 43. Oh, wow. And so um, there's a, a big scale. And usually, um, usually when it's passed down from generation, the repeats get, or the, it comes on faster. And it's very typical for like my dad to notice symptoms in his fifties where my brother started noticing symptoms in her forties, his forties. My cousin, I have a cousin who tested positive recently and she's only in her early thirties. And it even goes down to, unfortunately, um, there's juvenile Huntington's as well. And so that's something that's very scary and very, um, the life expectancy of kids that get diagnosed with junior HD is only about 10 years. Oh my. Let me back up a little bit here. You mentioned, you know, your dad, would have emotional issues, temper, things like that. And I suppose it would probably be pretty easy to write that off to the high-stress world of car dealerships. I mean, I imagine there's a lot of pressure associated with that coming from all directions. So you can't, like, is that easy to write off at first where you kind of go, uh, you know, that's, it's just, it's tough going. It's a tough business. We sort of understand it. And then you mentioned he had overwhelming suicidal thoughts. When did those start mm -hmm. before he ultimately passed? Like how, how long was it when you sort of became aware of what Huntington's disease was when your brother got diagnosed versus how long it ultimately claimed him? It lasted probably about three years. The first year it was like we were trying to do everything to get him into treatments. And there's something called a center of excellence here in Colorado that specializes that this falls under the movement umbrella, um, movement disorder umbrella. And so Huntington's is described as having ALS, dementia, and Parkinson's all at the same time. Good Lord. And really so, all three at the same time? Yeah, it's called, they call it the devil's disease. I, yeah, <laughs> I guess so. Um, I, that, geez, yeah. that's, I mean, those are three diseases that, I mean, I, everyone knows what those are, but I, the first time I think I'd heard of Huntington's disease is when you described it to me when we started connecting based on this reunion. That's crazy mm -hmm. to me that, that, that this is not as well known. How, do you know how widespread it is? Like how common is Huntington's disease? It's not very, okay. um, it's one of the, yeah, one of the most rare, it's under the rare disease umbrella and it's really, 
really rare. So there's just not a lot of, when you look at like, and not that anything's like, oh, it's better to have cancer, but there's just like so much resource and so much funding and stuff. And so people that have had successful treatments and what doesn't work and stuff like that, that you have that under your belt where this is really just something that they're starting to figure out. So when he started getting bad, like when you go to the doctor, it's like, okay, well, this hurts over here. So I'm going to give you this for that. This is this for that. Like there's no kind of one medicine and they actually do something at, um, Dr. Kumar, who's our center of excellence, um, doctor down there where once a month they go in and they have like a team of eight doctors that specialize in every different type of problem related that you could have from like mental to physical stuff like that and so they always test their cognitive ability like how you know what's 10 plus 10 and blah that kind of stuff and so they do do that once a month um down at his center and a lot of people and that's another chance for people to talk to other patients um, and get some community support. I mean, I think that that's one thing that we found a lot of support in is our community. They have a Huntington support group and I, um, was attending it pretty regularly, but my dad would never go. And I was like, why? And he was like, because if this isn't the worst it gets, like, I don't want to see how bad it can get. And that was pretty much when he decided that he, he was done living here wow. and that was, but those support groups and stuff have been really helpful. There's been a lot of different times in my life where I've used like group support versus individual support. And I just think really having that kind of help has, has really helped. And the last year that he was here, he really had like, not just suicidal thoughts at this point, but like plans. Like when you talk to people in distress situations, you're like, well, is it a thought or is it a plan? And he had plans and we were like, okay, no. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and so I tried for like the last year that he was around another cause that I really think want to advocate for. And I think is kind of crap in our country is um, something that I would call dying with dignity, mm-hmm. which would be assisted suicide. Right. And it's not really a popular <laughs> belief, but after watching somebody go through what he went through and I tried everything here in the United States to get him because he's not, not physically gone enough to where he would qualify for hospice. And so like, there's no help there and just like dead end after dead end. So we had actually made a plan. We were going to go to Switzerland and Switzerland is like one of the countries that offers that kind of dying with dignity. And we were going to do that. And a week before we left, he overdosed on pills. Okay. Yeah. And so it was hard, but that was kind of like his last thing of doing it his own way. <laughs> like yeah, that... he, ever, he always wanted to do everything. Yeah. It, it, he's, he's exercising some measure of control. Where he feels at the mercy of this disease. And I don't, I don't want to speculate on his, on his mindset. That's not my place to do. But based on what you're saying, I, I can relate to the impulse of wanting to have some control over the exit. If ultimately, if, if you don't want to see where this disease is going to take you or drag you to, mm-hmm. you want to have some say over how that last chapter is written. Is it, is that a fair characterization? Mm hmm. 
it's yeah i think it sums it up great <laughs> okay yeah so i i'm so. i'm curious um in terms of dying with dignity i don't know a ton about this and my suspicion is our culture doesn't like talking about it because it makes us uncomfortable or it makes people feel icky or whatever, right? There's a whole mess uh-huh. of feelings that, that are associated with this that I think it's irresponsible not to talk about if it, like it, when times are good, right? Because you need uh-huh. to do that so you're prepared for when the worst actually happens. You've now lived uh-huh. through it. How would you like to see that conversation evolve? Oh, I would love to see everybody have the opportunity because I just know too many people that, you know, it's like we put our dogs to sleep when they've had enough life here. And we, you know, we have all of these older people that I think that deserve, deserve the choice, you know, and it's hard. And, but the only place like Seattle is the only place that, or yeah, Washington is the only place that, or Oregon. I think it's like Oregon. That, yeah. Is one of the, yeah, the only places that allows that, allows it. But in order to do it, you have to establish like a six or an eight month residency there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't very easy. And they say that Colorado, that Colorado has the law, but the hoops are so big to jump through that no doctors want to support it, that it's not really an option here. And I've just seen too many people with so many other types of things that I think live in this world in dignity and peace is like the last final gift. Right. And I mean, politically and ideologically, I'm definitely inclined to agree with you just for my own two cents. That's me editorializing here. What I'm curious about is since I haven't looked into this, what does dying with dignity actually look like? How, like, how do the steps manifest? And, you know, you were going to Switzerland and I can't imagine what prepping for a trip like that would be like. And if you want to talk about that, you can. But, um, in terms of the, the steps of that, you, you mentioned you're passionate about this. I think it would be useful if people understood how does that process unfold for someone if they were to choose to die with dignity? They're diagnosed with this terrible disease. They want to have agency over writing the last chapter. What do the steps look like in an ideal sort of way? Well, in Switzerland, there was a lot of, I mean, a lot of paperwork, a lot of, um, you know, they have certain doctors over there that do it. And yeah, it was just a huge submission of the paperwork. And since we're not in Switzerland, um, you wait until you get there before they do like physical evaluations and stuff. And, and um, yeah, we booked the trip and it, I mean, the people that work in this field are the most kind, caring, compassionate people ever. So they make a bad situation, um, the best that it can be. And after the, you got the approval and we kind of got held up a little bit because of COVID, um, restrictions on traveling and stuff. Sure. Cause this was like last June. Oh, and geez. So, oh, international travel yeah. last June. Good grief. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, but we had um, just lined up the trip and not just my mom and my uh, younger brother and um, my parents and I were going to go. And they like you, the where we were going to stay is on the Rhine River. And, you know, the guy that was my contact in Switzerland was just like, you wouldn't believe the amount of joy and the parties and the happiness and the smiles. He's like, you think that this would he said, but it just doesn't it doesn't happen that way. And people come out and, you know, they have a chance to say goodbye, which 
I think has its, I mean, I think it's given me a lot of peace because I knew what was going to happen. And so I made sure in those months leading up to all of this, that I was, that I was able to be very honest about everything that he had given me and us and what our future looked like. You know, I feel bad for the people. Then you look at the other side of it. Well, what's worse? Well, I feel bad for the other people that have people taken like that and never have the chance. So I, I suppose there's an argument to be made either way and everyone runs their own race here. So you got to reckon with this idea leading up to it. And so, I mean, yeah, in some ways you, you get to establish closure in a different way than other people who just get cold cocked. Like, I mean, someone dies on the highway and you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you never know. And that's, I, I mean, it, Thinking about this in, in any kind of respect is challenging and taxing for pretty much anyone. And, and you've had to think about this now for a long time and now you're in advocacy work for it. Does it ever wear you out? Are you ever burned out talking about it or thinking about it? Or it, has it given you renewed purpose in terms of what you're doing with your life? It's given me renewed purpose. I haven't been doing this long enough <laughs> sure. to be worn out enough, but I think that he just left us like such a, you know, he left his goal was him still being here. We couldn't travel the way we want to travel as a family. We can't do the things, you know, and we were, of course, there's financial gifts to it too that happened that we wouldn't be, you know, I've been able to stay home with my kids for the last year and that wouldn't have happened without it. And so I think that he was just really smart in his forward thinking about this and has just left so many gifts that it's just, it's made it, it's made it a little bit easier and paying forward things to other people. I mean, that was always like what he did for other people. And so I'm always trying to do for others <laughs> and help others when I can, because I know how fortunate I am. And so anytime I can help somebody else, I'm always willing to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, you know, you mentioned the place in Switzerland. I think about, I mean, I've had grandparents go through hospice and palliative care and things like that. And the folks who work there, man, they're just cut differently. Like those, that's a special Mm -hmm. breed of person who can be around that much death and that much sadness. I mean, I, on this show at one point, and this is an odd comparison, but I interviewed a former 911 dispatcher and she said, every Mm -hmm. day of your life, every shift that you have, you are dealing with someone's worst day. And the Mm -hmm. fact that you can maintain yourself and the fact that you can be almost like an angel for someone else. Um, is really a rare gift. And so the fact that you're dedicated to that and, and bringing light to dying with dignity and this terrible disease that was, uh, what was it? It was ALS, Parkinson's and dementia, dementia all wrapped into one. I mean, in, in some ways, you know, we're, we're given opportunities and what we do with them is up to us. And I think the fact that, that you're doing this, um, is a real tribute to you and a tribute to your dad. And it, it's, it's a great way, as you mentioned, of paying it forward. Yeah, well, and it's something that I feel like I need to have a really loud voice for because it's something that he never wanted to talk about. Like, he read Mm -hmm. one thing off the internet about Huntington's and didn't want to ever talk about it or anything. And so it wasn't really until we got to, like, the end that it was really talked about. And I think that that seems to be, like, um, 
like talk like that's just one of the big slogans with HD is like talk talk about it talk about it because it's so often not wanted to be talked about yeah you know with the chance that I mean it pretty much gives anyone in our chance of our family a 50% chance of having it and it's like we need to be talking about those things and supporting each other and there for each other and stuff like that so yeah because I I live every day. Like I could, there's a 50% chance that I could have it too. Wow. And I could get tested, but they were really close last year to having a cure for Huntington's and the, whatever the thing that controls all the drugs is the board that controls all the drugs. They put a big, like there was a lot of people. I attend a support group on Thursday nights for Huntington's disease. And there was a lot of people that were actively involved in the study and they put a big kibosh on all of it because they said that the, that they're not sure that this is prolonging a life that's not worth living is a good drug to have. And that's why the FD, FDA put a big kibosh on it. And when you break that down, it's not worth prolonging a life that's not worth living I was like I'm not getting I'm not getting tested and that's when I decided I was like it's not for me like some people would be like okay I'm gonna you know live every day to the fullest I'm like the kind of person to be like okay I'm gonna live balls to the wall crazy (laughs) (laughs) it's so it's better for my no, go ahead. Kids insanity. It's better for my kids' insanity. <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, I, I, I can see both sides of that, and I, I would say, no matter which choice you're going to make, it's not going to be an easy mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Um. So, mm-hmm. I mean, to that end, I, I totally get that. One thing I'm struck by is you, you've encouraged people to talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, and. I think there's value in that, especially because there's frequently a stigma around mental health issues in particular. And so mm-hmm. when people talk about depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, there's, for whatever reason in our culture, a hesitancy to talk about this, probably for similar reasons why we don't talk about death very much either. Um, mm-hmm. So to that end, you know, you mentioned your dad was starting to have some suicidal thoughts, some suicidal ideation. How did you... Was he forthcoming with that or, or how did you come to learn that? And, and, or was he seeking help at that point? Yeah, he was seeking like any type of advice. I mean, as far as the different, I mean, yeah, he had gone through like everything, you know, um, like psychiatrists, mental health experts, counselors, that kind of thing. Yeah. There's um, a counselor that specializes in HD and a lot of patients are seen by her and she seems to be helpful, but they're just, I mean, that's one unfortunate thing about HD is like everything is an, everything's an extreme. It's just extreme. And so there's no in the middle on these kind of things. And so there wasn't really any talking, any changing his mind. And, you know, I asked him at the end there, I was like, well, if you've, I was like, if you could go anywhere, do anything, isn't there anything you want to do before you leave? And he said that he'd gone everywhere. He'd done everything. He drank the best wines and ate the best food all over the world. And he said there wasn't not one more place that he'd want to go. The only place that he really talked about was um, going back to Rockford, Illinois, which was where he was born, a small town in Rockford. But other than that, he was just... 
he was content, like something that I'd never couldn't imagine <laughs> having that kind of strength in that kind of situation. So, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I, that to me speaks of a life well lived, certainly. Further down that vein, what do you remember most about your dad and what do you cherish most about your dad and growing up with him as your dad? Yeah, I gave his eulogy. And it was awesome. It was awesome to be able to write that because he just has such an incredible story. And I just look at like how many people that he made successful and how many people in his family he made successful and how many like relationships, like when I, you know, look at people that they're relate or their relationships starting at the dealership and now they have kids, you know, married kids and on down the road, um, just like the community and network of people that are now either successful on their own or, you know, they found happiness in other ways, love and kids and all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, I, that's probably what I try to cherish, cherish and remember most. Yeah. Hmm. I, I think that's a great tribute. I mean, with how many people it sounds like your dad touched that, I mean, that sounds beautiful. And the fact that he was content toward the end, I mean, it, it's hard to, Especially as someone from the outside, you know, who, who didn't necessarily know your dad. I, what I'm trying to do is trying to help paint a picture of what this disease is, what it does, and the advocacy work that you're now engaged in. And it sounds like you've come to at least a pretty good place about it. And if, if you follow you on social media, it seems like you're out chasing adventures, you're out doing all the things and, you're, you're paying tribute in that way with a life well lived of your own. Um, is that mm -hmm. a fair characterization? Yeah, it is. And I'm trying to give my boys all of the experiences. I mean, he worked really hard to give us. I mean, we had just like we were so blessed growing up with all the trips and places that we went and things that we did. So I'm just trying to give my kids that that same kind of stuff and always out on adventures and making memories and we just bought an RV. <laughs> nice. All right. So, what are your plans? Where are you going to go in it? Well, so far we've been to Chatfield. That's one mile from my door to the lake. <laughs> it's a good place to start. <laughs> if you're not going to go in your own backyard, what are we even doing here, right? Yeah. Yeah. So just trying to live on those legacies. Um, you know, a couple of the things that have happened since he's passed has been, um, we, I put, uh, something out there that I wanted to raise a bunch of money after he passed and in lieu of flowers, like to donate to, we'd set up a foundation, um, with the movement disorder place. And so we were able to donate $25,000 from there. And that went straight to like our set, center of excellence here in Denver. So it all stays local. Fantastic. So we did that and that, yeah, that was a big thing. And then, then I was looking at, it was Father's Day a couple of weeks ago and it like he passed on the 10th and Father's Day was like the 14th or something. And I'm a part of like a lot of Huntington support groups and I just kind of read through the posts and I was reading about this family that had just recently found out that their son was diagnosed with like, when I talked about the numbers, he has an 85 CAG, which 
I know he probably only has a few years left to live, if that. And so his parents were talking about wanting to do things like what could they do? Was it selfish to ask for hand, was it selfish to ask for handouts in a situation like this? So they could give his little boy the experience and make a wish. I'm a huge fan of make a wish, but I guess they've limited travel right now because of COVID. And so I wrote on there, I said, well, I'm going to be your make a wish. I said, we're going to pay for a trip for your family to come. And I said, let me figure out the logistics, like where you live, what's going to be close enough and all that kind of stuff. And so they're actually coming in September and the little boys five or six and they're going to come and stay at Great Wolf Lodge. And so we paid for three nights for them to stay there and then some money for travel and then Cheyenne Mountain Zoo tickets. And so, yeah, that's really fun to be able to do things like that for other people. Man, that's really cool. Uh, I mean, and what a mm-hmm. gift that uh, that you get to give to others. What do you want people to know if they take away one thing from this episode about, and I'm going to ask you this about two things, but the first what do you want people to take away from this episode about Huntington's disease as they go forward? If they take away one thing, what would that be? From the medical side of it? I mean, it's misdiagnosed so often. Like if you're having a lot of problems that just seem out of the ordinary, like just do a little bit more research, educate yourself just a little bit more on what it could look like because we're finding um, I do like these board meetings too. And it's like, we talk about how everyone's getting misdiagnosed. And it's like, so like, I'd like to do a commercial that was like, if you feel like this, this, and this, you might have this because the more people we can have on board and participate in research, the better off we're going to be. Okay. So if you say this, this, and this, give me a few, for instances, if, if people are experiencing like X, Y, and Z, what are X, Y, and Z that, that like get misdiagnosed? Well, a lot of like slurred speech is a big thing with people like changing in your like ability to remember things. I mean, these, but they, then again, these kind of can fall under dementia too. But the chorea is like in a lot of involuntary movements. And that's something that's misdiagnosed a lot. And the other thing, I mean, I could say depression, but that's such a broad umbrella. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I would say if if depression is combined with those things, that's got to be a real like red flag, right? For sure. And knowing if you have any, I mean, any family history of it, I mean, I don't think everybody knows like how hereditary it is, you know, that it's a 50% chance. And so just be trying to get the education um, about your family and stuff. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then in terms of dying with dignity, if there's one thing you want people mm-hmm. to walk away from having listened to this, what, what would you want it to be about dying with dignity? To have an open mind and open heart. <laughs> Yeah. I've joked that I'm going to be like the next Jackie Kevorkian. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, there's a name from the past. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but just having an open mind and heart about it, because I know it doesn't, not just under political views, but religious views as well. Sure. Yeah, very um, thorny issue. I mean, we're talking about end of life here. And so, yes, there's a political element. There's also a religious element. I know I have a, I want to say a second cousin who lives in Oregon and his dad, his dad chose to die with dignity as well. And it's certainly not 
no, none of it is easy. Like, let's not dispel that myth. Like, let, let or let, let, let's not facilitate that myth. None of it is easy. Like, no, no death is easy. But the fact that his father was able to have a choice, I think, is still meaningful to him and one he would continue to advocate for. Yeah, and he's probably another person that's seen that, like, I have seen it to where you're like, yeah, that wasn't, it sounds bad, but and it's not as bad as it, some of the, some of this has right. to be. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yes. Yeah. Uh, agreed. Okay. Well, Courtney, this was, uh, this was an incredible conversation and I appreciate you being so candid with me and, and talking about all these things that I feel like as a culture, we don't talk about enough. And so getting the opportunity mm-hmm. to learn more about it and hear from you and hear your firsthand experience, um, has just been intensely rewarding for me. And I'm sure it has been for anyone listening. So at this time, this is the part on the show where we do plugs. If you'd like to plug anything personally, you're welcome to. If you'd like to point to organizations you're involved with, anything on the web, anything at all, uh, the floor is yours to plug away. I think I've said everything that I've needed to say. Um, you know, if anybody has any questions, they're certainly welcome to reach out to me personally. I'm happy to answer anything. But the web is a is a good place to start for more information. And yeah, but... Just looking forward to seeing you. Is it next Saturday night? It is. By the time this airs, so this will air on Wednesday, it will be three days after this airs. So, yeah. Is that is the center you referenced where you were able to raise money for? Like, do you, Would you like to point people to that? Like, do they yeah. have a web address if people want to donate, that kind of thing? That's, that's what I mean in terms of plugs. If, if there's any organizations that you'd like to draw more attention to, I'd love for you to do that. Yeah, the Movement Disorders Foundation is great. Um, Dr. Kumar and his team are some of the lead uh, people in the country as far as research goes. And so I don't know the website off the top of my, hand, my head, but it's the Center of Excellence. That's cool. Well, I, I will find it and I will put it in the show notes. So if you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Spotify, wherever you get your pods, uh, it will be there also on the companion blog piece that's on johnofalltrades.us. That's J-O-N of alltrades.us. So look for those links. Uh, I will make sure and find them and put them in there. But Courtney Brewer, man, it's been so long and I, I, I am, uh, I'm so happy we got to do this and I can't wait till we're together in real life, especially after COVID. I mean, good God, we all get to get together. It's, uh, right. it's a time. So, uh, Thank you so much. I wish you continued success, and I'm looking forward to seeing you. Awesome. Thank you. And that'll do it for episode 298 of the John of All Trades podcast with Courtney Brewer. Man, what a great episode. Open minds, open hearts. I hope you got a lot out of this because I certainly did. I'm grateful for Courtney's candor and her insight and her warmth. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. I do all manner of traditional PR. Whether that's outreach, media relations, copywriting, ghostwriting, whatever you need. Also podcasting. In addition to this show, I produce three others. So if you have a podcast idea, happy to help you get it off the ground and produce it for you. Hit me up on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. Our sponsor is 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Anything you're doing online, 4Degrees can help you do it better. Social media marketing, online advertising, building a website, email campaigns, no matter what it is, 4Degrees will get your message in front of the people who need to see it most. Turn that into bottom line success for you. Number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. 
John of All Trades is on social media. Check out J-O-A-T Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. Facebook is the only place for exclusive episode previews. Those go up on Mondays. New episodes drop on Wednesdays. Pod catchers everywhere. The website is johnofalltrades.us. J-O-N of alltrades.us. I'm approaching 300 numbered episodes. There's way more than that in there, so I guarantee you, you will find something you like. I'm out of here for this week. I'm out of here for next week. So, wherever you are, I hope you're enjoying your summer. I hope it's like the summer of George for you. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. And until I hear you again, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.